0: Right. So with that, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 12, and so that's on page 8, page 8 in your Bibles around you. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one around the chairs in front of you. If you look at it on your phone, let's see the glory of God reflected off of your face as we stand, as Michelle reads, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 20.
1: Now the Lord, of the, or now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred. And your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse you, or curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was seventy five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham pressed through the land to the place place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring I will give this land so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him from there he moved to the hill country on the east side of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord and Abram journeyed on so going towards Negeb now there was a famine in the, in the land so Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the, fa- for the famine was severe in all the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me. But they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her they praised they praised her to Pharaoh and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house and for her sake he dealt well with Abram and he had sheep oxen male donkeys and male servants female servants female donkeys and camels but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai Abram's wife so Pharaoh called Abram and said what is this you have done to me why did you not tell me she was your wife Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. And then, now, here's your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had.
0: Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this iconic text, this text that has been guiding the church for thousands of years. Lord, thank you that you've given us your word to give us your heart, to give us your promises, to give us your covenant. Your covenant of grace, as we will see, worked out because of who you are and your great love for us and not because we are worthy. Lord, and in that we rejoice. Lord, so is my prayer this morning that we would uh, follow your covenant. And as we said for the year 2019 at our family meeting, a great time of life and community and testimonies. I read this scripture from 1 Samuel. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. And Lord, as each one of us considers the great things that we have done for us, it causes us to, to be excited and to leap with joy in our hearts of what you have for us in 219. And Lord, I pray, my prayer is that for us, that we would fear you, respect you, re- revere you as our Lord, as our Savior, and then serve you faithfully. And again, the motivation is not to earn your love, but have a gratitude heart of what you've already accomplished for us in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, go ahead and be seated. All right. So, I don't know when the last time I've been so excited to... To put together and, and preach a message to you guys. I mean, every week it's exciting to, to get together and share God's word with you. But just like when I was playing, there were certain teams that uh, you look forward to playing against a little bit more than others. And the adrenaline started to kick up. And that happened to me again this week. As we dive back into the book of Genesis. I mean, as we said, we just read, Michelle just read a passage of scripture that has guided, has been the light on the path for the church over thousands of years. Men like Martin Luther, Calvin, Augustine, great men and women of the faith, this passage has guided their lives, and it guides ours. Usually before I, I sit down to, to write a message, I, I, I try and, and, and pray for about 30 minutes because I want Jesus to increase and I want to decrease. But for whatever reason, I was so jacked to write this, I only got about five minutes in the prayer, and it was like the Spirit's like, Let's go. Let's, let's start putting some, you know, um, words on paper. And so it, it lasted about, so I put on some Shane and Shane and started to, to get after it. So I hope you guys get as much out of it as I am and you're excited. This is the state of the cross. I and mean, this state of the cross, And usually what we do is we kind of look back to look forward, but this time we're just going to look forward. What what does the Lord have for the Crossing Church in 2019? Uh, Just before Christmas, we we started, and we started Genesis in the fall. We got through about 12 uh, sermons through Genesis chapter 11, and I was going to give you guys a summary of that and how to do that, um, and it just took too long. I could have give you the the, the outline that we are following through the book of Genesis, the Ten Toledots. Uh, or the phrase, these are the generations. We're on number six in Genesis chapter 11 to summarize where, what we've been talking about before Christmas, but I, that's gonna take too long. I said, well, we could, if you like a little uh, uh, alliterations, I can give you three Ps um, to what happened and how you outline the book of Genesis. First, you had perfection, right? Creations chapters one and two and how God spoke and his words were obeyed and this whole world came into existence, the heavens and the earth uh, but then we saw in Genesis chapter 3 the problem, Adam and Eve sinned, and we saw the effects of that. It started this downward spiral, as language we used here at the crossing. Uh, it started with Adam and Eve, and then it got worse with Cain, and then we saw it happen to Lamech, and then we get to Genesis chapter 6, where it says, every intention of a people's heart was evil continuously. And so we see that, and then we we have um, the, the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, it leads us to the third portion or third section of genesis the the promises and from chapter 12 through 50 we're going to be looking at the promises of god and how they worked out in the nation of israel and ultimately to us or it could just be real simple there's two sections of the book of genesis genesis one through chapter 11 where we see these epic events creation fall flood tower of babel and that's what we covered in the first half and now we're going to look at genesis 12 through 50 again this just deals with one single family the Lord decides to bless the whole world through this one family tree, beginning with Abraham, and ultimately leads to Jesus and his death and resurrection. So this is what we're going to look at. So to sum it up, Genesis 1 through 11, we, we ended Genesis 11 just before Christmas, kind of on this downward spiral, this dark time. But there was a little spark at the end of Genesis 11, talking about this new thing, when Tara had left the land, Terah became the father of Abram. And that's the little spark, Abram. And today we begin chapter 12 and the spark comes alive. The light of God enters this dark time. So that's what we're going to look at right now. This mic is not used to my jacket. That's why I'm all screwed up right here. All right. Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 9. First we see Abram's gracious God. And when I say Abram's gracious God, you, could implement, you can put your name in there. Aaron's gracious God, or whatever, your name, this is your gracious God. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, now I'll probably call Abram Abraham because we know later on he he, God changes his name. So if I make that slip, which I probably will, just know we're talking about the same dude, all right? Uh, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now this is a familiar text to most of us in here. It's been said about Genesis 12, this little section, verses 1 through 3, is the heartbeat of the promises of the covenant of grace in the history of redemption everything before genesis 12 is is pointing is leading to up to it but then everything after genesis 12 the bible is fulfilling the promises here that we read the covenant of grace in the history of redemption is in genesis 12 1 through 3 in a nutshell and so, no doubt it's a familiar passage. What we see here is the Lord initiates another covenant. We've already seen Him initiate a covenant with, uh, with Adam and creation, and then also with Noah. But here we see another new covenant, a, a new beginning, a new, a new chapter in God fulfilling His original plan to, to populate the world with His image bearers. To take over the world with his image bearers way back in Genesis chapter one where he called Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and subdue and overtake the land. But here, this covenant's a little bit different. As I already mentioned, it's made to one individual. Uh, the, the the covenant made to, to Adam and to Noah was more of a worldwide covenant. The one to Noah was uh, made to Noah and all of his sons. We saw his sons ended up being the nations of Genesis chapter 10, but also to every living creature. So this is a worldwide covenant. But here, this covenant that God makes and will be expanded in chapters 15 and 17 is made to Abraham and his offspring alone. And through them, through this family tree, the rest of the world will be blessed. It is here that the Lord focuses on one single family to bring and fulfill the promise that was made way back in Genesis chapter 3.15 when Adam and Eve sinned and darkness came on the land. God still in his grace gave us this promise that he would send an offspring. He would send a seed that would crush the head of the serpent. This Savior who would come would crush again the serpent, sin, and death. And so, this is what the rest of the Bible focuses on bringing about these covenant promises. This is the grace of God to Abram and ultimately to you and to me today. So, first and foremost, I want to point out a couple things. First, we need to circle two words in, in chapter 12, verses one through three. It's the word I will. You see that? It's repeated five times in Genesis 1-3. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. This is God speaking. And then we see it also in verse 7. So six times in these short uh, verses this appears. And what this is telling us is that this covenant, these promises, is solely on the grace of God. It has nothing to do with mankind with the men and women. It has nothing to do with Abram. This is God deciding solely to show his grace to us through Abram and his family and his offspring. See, there's nothing special about Abraham or Abram whatsoever. God chooses Abram because God loved him. He set his love on him. The reason why Abram would love God is because God would first love him. And it's the same true with you and for me. God chooses Abram, this unlikely deliverer, a theme that we traced in Judges last week and and a couple years ago. God in his love sets his love on him. This is God's doing God's grace. Why do we call Abraham unlikely, an unlikely candidate to be a father of many nations? Well, because, as we will see, Abram first and foremost came from this this pagan city, this polytheistic city called Ur. Ur is one of the the um, oldest cities known in the in history of mankind, and and this is where Abram dwelt. and And many believe that this sections twelve through one through three. First, Abram got the call in Ur, which caused his family. If you look back up in. Um, verses, uh, I can't read it right now, 29, the end of uh, 11, we see that Abram's father, Terah, takes his family and they start to make this trek and they end up staying in Haran. So many people believe, commentators believe, that this first came to them in the land of Ur where it says, go to this land of Canaan. But they get stuck in Haran. And so what we see here, though, is they come from this city called Ur, a very affluent, again, a very influential city back then. And again, it was filled with pagans, not Yahweh, the Lord of the Bible, but all these other different gods. And the main god was this moon god. In fact, Abram's father, Terah, is named after the moon god. So we see that they were the original moonies, right, that started out. Abram... Nor his family was seeking the call of God, was seeking the Lord at this point. God rushed in, broke into their hearts, and told them to go to the new land. This is totally a work of grace he will bring his covenants to pass. Here's something else very important for us to remember, that these promises, these covenants are in seed form. They're in they're in seed form. They they're just beginning. And what we will see is you track this throughout the rest of the Bible, it it begins these promises begin to grow, they begin to bloom. And what happens is the what is probably in Abram's mind by the time we get to Jesus and the church, it is blown. Abram had no idea exactly what these promises would end up being. They actually exceed and would extend anything that Abram had on his mind. They are fulfilled, as we will see, that, that these promises start with Abram, but will be fulfilled in Jesus. And they will be way bigger and broader than Abram could ever have imagined. We're gonna track this story first with Abram through Genesis. And then see he's gonna to go to the, the, the promises are gonna to go to Isaac, and then they're gonna go to Jacob, and Jacob becomes this name or nation Israel, and Jacob has twelve sons, and, and through Judah we see this thing, and then we have David, and then comes David, comes Solomon. And by the time we get to the New Testament, we come to Matthew 1:1. 1, 1. And this is where the Lord connects Abram to Jesus. In Matthew 1:1, 1, 1, it says, This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. This is his heritage the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abram. And so we see here that these are seed form covenants that will bloom into something that we get to experience today, the salvation that we have through Christ. Christ will be the serpent crusher. So that's the, that's the flow of the rest of Genesis and the rest of the whole Bible with this. So let's look at the first promise, verse 2. I will make you a great nation, Again, we already said that Abraham was an unlikely candidate. One, because he was a pagan. Yahweh wasn't in the land of Ur at that time. But two, here's the other thing. Uh, Abram, his name means father. But we read in Genesis eleven thirty 30 that Abram's wife, Sarai, was barren. She had no child. And notice, he, it's a double emphasis. It's emphatic. He, the, the writer, Moses, really wants to make that point. Sarah was barren and had no child. So when when God comes to Abram and says, I'm going to make you a, a father, a great nation, Abram doesn't even have any prodigy. He doesn't have a child. And not only that, he's old. He's not a spring chicken. He's, he's about 75 years of age as we read. And so God tells him, I'm going to make you a great nation. It almost sounds like a cruel joke, right? It's like, are you kidding? But we know that this gets fulfilled because we're looking back on the story. Abraham indeed becomes the father of a great nation, the nation of Israel. Millions upon millions of Jews have been populated because of Abram. But here's the thing. Again, this promise actually blooms into something even greater because Abram thought just physical descendants. But in Scripture, this actually goes beyond that to what we call spiritual Israel. This is where you and I, the Gentiles, come into play in Romans chapter 11. And then also in Galatians chapter 3, where we say this, that know then that it is those of faith, those who repent and believe in Jesus, are the sons and daughters of Abraham, are the true sons and daughters of Abraham. So me and you, we are part of Abram's, legacy. He is our spiritual father. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 5, we'll look at this in a couple weeks. God will change his name Abram, which means father, to Abraham, which means father of many. I love how one pastor said it. J.D. Greer said this. He went from daddy to big daddy, right? Isn't that awesome? And you guys know it's awesome because if you're at the family meeting, that's What Jason brought up in his testimony where he met me, I don't know, like 10 years ago. He said, all I do is remember this guy named Aaron Santini walking around calling everyone Big Daddy, right? It's because I didn't know anyone's name. They were just Big Daddy. Except for the ladies. I didn't call the ladies Big Daddy. That would only go over well, right? But anyway, so we see this this promise fulfilled. Second and third, I'm going to kind of combine. I will bless you and make your name great. Again, this is fulfilled. There's five world religions uh, in the world. But three of them, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, um, look to Abraham as the father of their faith. They respect and revere him. He has a major part to play in all three of those world religions. But also something else is happening. If you remember in Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, the people got together and said, hey, let's come together. Why? Because we want to make our name great. And they were were rebelling against God. So we don't need God. We can make our own name great. Therefore, they were building this temple. But here we see in this promise that if you want to be great, the Lord makes you great. Apart from the Lord, our names will never be great. Who can remember a person who was there at the Tower of Babel? Anybody? No, their names are forgotten. They were scattered. They didn't even get to finish or complete the project. But almost everyone in here, when we say the name Abraham, knows who we're talking about. And not only here, but throughout the centuries, no matter what continent you were on, if you spoke English or Arabic or Hebrew or Greek, people knew who Abraham was, the father of the face. But not only that, they knew him as the father, and more importantly, they knew him as the father of the serpent crusher of Genesis 3. The Lord Jesus Christ, as we saw in Matthew chapter 1. Fourth, I will bless those who bless you, and those who dishonor you I will curse. Man, we have just seen this over the course of history over and over and over and over again. Those countries, those nations that come against the nation Israel, as we look at them, they're either destroyed they don't long, they no longer exist or they become much weaker nations. We can think of Babylon. We can think of Assyria. We can think of Rome. We can think of um, Germany. We can think of Iran. We can think of Iraq. We think of Afghanistan. We see that those who come against Israel, God's covenant people, it doesn't work out too well for them. Not only at a national level, we can also see this at an individual level, which we'll see um, with Pharaoh in Egypt. And here's just another crazy fact, that Israel right now, I looked it up, I googled it, has about 9 million people in their population in the nation of Israel right now. Obviously there's millions of Jews all over the world, but in Israel there's about 9 million Israelis. It is surrounded by 400 million people in the Middle East that generally most of them want to wipe Israel off the face of the planet, but they can't touch Israel. 400 million to nine. And yet Israel rules that area of the world. That's just an incredible thing. I will bless those who bless you, and those who dishonor you, I will curse. That moves us to number five. And again, I've kind of combined the fifth one, these so out these purposes, why the God has given us this covenant of grace, verse two and three, so that you will be a blessing. Abram, I'm, I'm giving you this promise so that you will be a blessing and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now I want us to just pause and think about that right now. What would our world look like without Abraham and the Jewish people? What would it look like? I mean, for for some of us, you know, we wouldn't have matzo ball soup, right? Anyone love that? I don't, so I wouldn't mind that one, right? But falafel, hummus, it's not necessarily unique to Israel, but they got their spin on it. So for you foodies out there, you know, we wouldn't have great food. But more importantly, we wouldn't have our Bibles. When, when we said, hey, let's open up to Genesis chapter 12, we we wouldn't have that. We wouldn't have Genesis 1, 1 and, and chapter 1 and 2 where it talks about how this creation, how this world came into being. We, we wouldn't have that. We wouldn't have great passages like, Exodus chapter 20 that's given us the the Ten Commandments. We wouldn't have Psalm 23 talking about this Lord who is our shepherd, who leads and guides and directs us and, and protects us even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We wouldn't have all these promises. And ultimately, the United States of America would look different because our Constitution, our judicial system is based off of Judeo and Christian ethics. And so our, our world would look totally different if there wasn't any Jewish individuals. There wasn't an Abraham. But here's the biggest thing, the biggest miss, the biggest hole is we'd have no Savior. If we'd have no Savior, there would be no Jesus. There would be no Christianity. There would be no hope. There would be no joy. There would be no peace for you and me. You and I would not be here. We would not be gathered right now. The crossing wouldn't exist. The church would be non-existent. John 4 says this, that Jesus said to the woman at the well. It says here, that you, you see it's like, uh, Shechem. Shechem actually becomes Sakar, which actually becomes where Jesus met the woman at the well. We'll read that in Genesis where Jacob built this well in Shechem. And he told the woman at the well, salvation is from the Jews. Jesus comes from Abraham. So this is huge that God chose Abram and the Jewish people. So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for God bestowing grace upon Abram. Then becomes Israel, who then becomes the church. And sending us the serpent crusher, Jesus, through his offspring. Without that, there would be no blessing. There would be no grace. Again, there'd be no hope or salvation for you and me. The world would look totally different. But praise the Lord that that's not the case, amen? Jesus is the blessing that Abraham brings. Jesus is the blessing. It's through him that all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And guess what? You and I are a a fulfillment of that promise of this promise to Abram, some, I don't think, some 4,000 years ago or whatever it was. We are experiencing, we are a real life of example of this covenant promise coming to pass. Our families have been blessed because of Abraham and these covenant promises. And now it's our responsibility as we see to pass this blessing on to others. This is priceless. I mean, this is awesome That we are the example and the fulfillment of this promise. I mean, I could drop the mic right now and we'd be done. We can say amen and be out of here. But there's still even more great promises. So let's look at the the sixth one, the final promise. Verse 7, to your offspring, to your seed, I will give this land. It's the land of Canaan, the land of Israel today. I want you to look back at verse 6. It says that, that God sent Abram to this land, but this land was already occupied. There were already people in the land, uh, the cursed Canaanites that we, we see they were cursed from Genesis chapter nine. And ever since then, ever since Abram stepped foot on the land of Canaan, there has been a battle for this land ever since. There's been a war for the past thousands, upon thousands of years, even to this day. We turn on the news and we see it. Now quickly, what I want to kind of point out is that when God creates the world, it means He owns the world. And so he can give land to whoever he pleased, because he owns the world. And so God gave Israel this land. And what he does here is, is, is he has Abram walk through, again, from the north all the way down to the south. And we see in verses 6 through 9 that Abram twice sets up altars. Again, this is a pagan land. This is a cursed people Yet Abram comes and sets up altars to the Lord. And what this is signifying is that there's a new sheriff in town, so to speak, right? There's, there's a new God who rules and reigns over this land. And that's what these altars represent. He is reclaiming the land for the kingdom of God. He's, Abram is reclaiming the land on behalf of God, saying, hey, there's some new image bearers that are going to be out here, and we're going to now rule and reign. But here's the cool thing. This land promise blooms into something greater and bigger than a piece of dirt in the Middle East today when we come to Jesus in the New Testament. You see, because Jesus is not just wants to rule and reign over Israel. Jesus came to rule and reign and take back his world. The kingdom of God in Mark chapter 1 says is here. And we'll be advancing now through the gospel. And King Jesus will sit on his throne to reclaim not only this piece of land, but more importantly, the world for himself. Sidney Gradonis says this. This is how he puts it, great commentator on Genesis. He says, Jesus came to reclaim the whole world for his kingdom. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. After the resurrection, Jesus mandated his disciples to reclaim all nations for the kingdom of God. That was the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Go into all the nations and what? Make disciples. This, still, this call still comes to us today. As God called Abram and later Israel to reclaim Canaan for his kingdom, so Christ has called his church, you and me, to reclaim all nations for the kingdom of God. And so we see this is more than just about one piece of land. This is about image bearers taking over the whole world for the glory of God and for his kingdom. And this is where uh, Genesis 12 even becomes, meets us today. Meets us today. We have the opportunity to join Christ in reclaiming the nations for his glory. Wouldn't that be a great thing to live for? And we are living for that. This is the one said, a grand and glorious mission to give your life to. What are you giving your life to? This is the ultimate. So, my question today is Are you in? You come here. Are you in? Are you here to give your life to this covenant promise, to the glory of God spreading to all the nations? And if you're a child of Abraham, spiritual child, and you repented of your sins and you trusted in Christ, then this is your mission. This is your call. This is what you are to be about. This is what I am to be about. First and foremost, the building the kingdom of God through making image bearers, disciples through the gospel. This is what we are called to give our lives to. I know some of you are you, will you, Give your life to this mission, reclaiming the nations for the kingdom of God. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to become a pastor or a missionary. Now, some of you may be. Some of you may be, right? That will be your calling. But for the majority of us in here, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is your calling. When you come to faith, you remain in the arena. You remain in the area that you have been assigned and to which you have been called. And it's in that place It's in your job. It's in your circle of influence. It's at whatever school you're in. It's in that place you, propelled by the Holy Spirit, as we looked at, are to be Christ's what witnesses, ambassadors. We we had we had two awesome testimonies at our family meeting. Shelly did a great job, and then also Brandon talked about his life group. And and let me just give you talk about Brandon. His 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 life group at the beginning of the year they attacked the college campus, and the Lord brought them three four young Muslim men, okay? And all of a sudden, they showed up at an invitation to play volleyball. These guys from Saudi Arabia. And they came. And from that, over the next semester, those men, Saudi men in this life group, Brandon and his life group, both guys, gals, everyone, loved on these guys. Uh, they, 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 They lived life with them. They invite them over for meals. And the Saudi guys invited them over for meals. And Brand said, hey, lamb, was it lamb hearts? Lamb hearts? Huh? Goat hearts. Goat hearts. They said, this is a delicacy of our world, you know, goat hearts. And Brand's like, this is the worst thing I've ever tasted in my life, right? But then there's also, not only was it they shared life, but, but our, our, Brand and the rest of the group got to share the gospel. One, one of the individuals, one of the young men, Um, lost his father right before coming out big deal because now he was to assume the role and he didn't want to come from Saudi Arabia to the United States but but his mom encouraged him to come out and so he did and and here Brandon the group got to engage this young man to talk about hey you're not fatherless there's a father in heaven who loves you there's a father in heaven who wants to extend grace to you this is what the mission is about this is how you live it out In your circles of influence, what an incredible thing to give your life to. So are you in? 2019, are you in? This is a a passion for us at the crossing this year. I'm praying that all of us in here get to experience the making of a disciple. See when someone, a non-believer, cross over from death to life in our circle of influence. Through you and us in the community, loving on them in word and deed. Are you in? I know you want your life to count. And it's in this that your life will count. And I give you meaning and purpose to be all in for the mission of God. Now, there's two places to be all in for the mission of God. There's the, the church we're called to be all in. We're, we're all called to be members of the local body of a local church, and we're called to be all in here. Sunday gatherings, life group, using our gifts to serve. But then also outside the church. Again, where we live, work, and play, we need to be all in. This needs to be at the forefront of our minds is, is, is being the light bearers, the ambassadors, the witnesses to take the mission of God to those who need us so desperately. Some of us in here do a great job at the community aspect and we're all in a church, but it's tough to step outside. It's a dangerous world out there. It's a messy world out there. Yes. And you need to, we need to help each other get into that. And some of you are, are outside in the world and and you're doing a good job there, but you need to get plugged in here. It's both and it's not either or. And so we need you all in with your gifts and your, your ability to serve here in the church and outside. We need you all in with your time. We need you all in with your treasure. This is the mission of God that we are called to. And it's not easy. There's going to be some difficult times. There's going to be some sacrifices, but it's worth it. You can change a person's eternity through the gospel. But joy. So what does it take to be all in? It takes faith, and that leads us to our second point. It takes faith. Look at verse 1, and then we'll be in verses 4 through 9. We see Abram's faith. Chapter 12, verse 1. Again, it starts with a command for Abram to go. Go and leave their country, your kindred, your father's house, into the land that I will show you. This, is, this takes incredible faith on Abraham's part. The Lord calls Abram away from his life. From what he's known the past 75 years, the Lord steps in and says, hey, I'm going to flip your whole world upside down, and, and, and you're going to leave your, 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 your immediate family, except for your wife, your nephew, you're going to take Lot and a couple others, you're going to leave your, your support, you're going to leave your identity, and you're going to go to a foreign land. Do you trust me? And, and did you catch where the Lord told him to go? Again, in, in the end of chapter 11, he kind of says, you're going to go to Canaan, but here he says, to the land that I will show you. He doesn't even give him great GPS coordinates on where he's going to end up. I mean, think about that. I mean, if I came home to my wife, Rita, and said, hey, I, I pull up in the U-Haul, and it's like, babe, pack it up. Get the kids, get the furniture, get the dogs. You know, we're, we're, we're moving. We're going. Where are we going? Canada. Well, where in Canada? I don't know. But we're going. You know, for us, it doesn't, it doesn't seem maybe that, that crazy because most of us aren't from Fort Collins, Colorado. In fact, if you're not from Fort Collins, Colorado, raise your hand. Yeah, see, most of us, <laughs> most of us, almost all of us, come from somewhere else. It's, it's a natural part of our lives. We, we travel. But for us to relocate, not a big deal. But for back then, this culture, where you're born is where you died. And here the Lord says, Go to this foreign land that I will show you. You've never even been there. i just, just pick up and go. And we see Abraham's faith in action. We see first time obedience. Look at verse four. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Again he starts from the north of Haran where he was, and he starts to go south through Canaan. The New Testament gives us a commentary on this verse in Hebrews. You don't have to turn there, but I'll just write it down. Hebrews chapter eleven, verse eight. And what Hebrews does this is in the hall of faith. This is this is telling us this is what an example of faithfulness looks like. This is an example of what following the Lord looks like when he gives you a command. This is this is what it looks like. There's our example. Hebrews 11:8. By faith Abraham, who was then Abram, obeyed when he was called uh, to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Abram didn 't know where he was going; he just knew he was going south, but he knew that there was the lord's blessing. The Lord had something for him, had an inheritance, so by faith, Abraham packed up his family and he moved south and Again, as spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham, through Jesus, we have a very similar and parallel commandment in the new covenant matthew twenty eight I already I already referenced it uh, Genesis 12.1 is a foreshadower, points us to a clear, bigger command, Matthew 28. It begins with, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, in Genesis 12.1, God told Abraham to go, and I'll show you. Well, we got the coordinates, we got the direction, we got the plan. Go and make disciples of all nations. And this is how the Lord works in your life, and and this is how the Lord works has worked in in my life, generally in this way, just the way he kind of generally worked with Abram, Uh, kind of when I went to college. um, uh, I had a, as you guys know, I was an athlete and I had a couple offers to go to different schools to to play baseball, but the Lord told me to go to a foreign land, uh, the University of New Mexico. Um, Yeah. It's called the land of uh, enchantment, as many of you guys know, and I say it, it's the land of entrapment. It actually, um, it's like when you go to Egypt, we'll see. When you go to Egypt, you can go there, but you can never get out, right, in the Bible. You see that, but anyways. Um, but I had to make a decision, so the night, uh, the, next, the, the night before that I had to make a decision, I just prayed. I was like, Lord, I don't, I don't know where to go. You, you got a hold of my heart a couple months ago. I want to follow you, so, so let me know where you want me to go. I don't, I don't know where to go. The next morning, the first thing that popped in my mind was the University of New Mexico. So I said, okay, that's where I'm going. I'm going to this foreign land where I don't know anybody. And so I went there, and, and in the very first class, I met a very, very beautiful pagan, right? My wife Rita, as you guys know my story. Now, I told her, I said, hey, I'm going to call you a pagan on Sunday. You, you all right with this? And she's like, that's even too kind, because when you messed me, I was worse than a pagan. So you just need to know that, right? She, here, here's this. This was 1990. Now, for some of you think, like, man, 1990 was forever ago, okay? It wasn't that long ago. We had computers and TVs and stuff, okay, and cars. But up to that point, she had never heard the gospel. She was 18, 19 years old. She lived in, uh, in New Mexico and then also Colorado. She never heard the gospel until I got to share it with her and my family, and by God's grace, she believed, and for, here's there: For the past 29 years, uh, reuniized life has been guided by Matthew 28. This, this has been our mission to go and make disciples. Now, we haven't perfectly kept it, but in 2002, the Lord moved us from New Mexico, the land of entrapment, to Fort Collins, which I'm awesome with. I'm glad He did. And at first, there were 10 years when, when this first call came. You might think, well, yeah, you, Aaron, you've always been a pastor. You've always been in ministry. And that's not the case. The first 10 years, I was first a college baseball player. And so I was called to make disciples of, of my teammates. And we got plugged into a local body where we got trained up and we were all in there. And then when I got done playing, I had to go into the workforce and, and get a real job, right? Um, I cut turf. I, I made sprinklers, uh, I couldn't uh, put together a sprinkler systems. I worked at Enterprise Rent A Cars. I sold cars. Um, one of the most humiliating jobs in the Lord—the way He just humbled me—is I worked at Burlington Coat Factory selling sheets. I mean, here I was a month ago playing in front of thousands of people making money playing a baseball game. To the next month selling sheets—humbling, brutal time in my life. But the Lord was faithful. So we see in 1990, the Lord got a hold of my heart. I met Rita. We were married in 1995. We had Taylor, our first child, in '96. We had five kids in seven years. And then it wasn't until 2000, uh, the year 2000 I got into full-time ministry. But here's the point. It all began with a call. The call of the Lord to have young, some young college punk obey the call, and go to a foreign land, the land of entrapment, and make disciples. That's my story. Abraham had a testimony. In the the story, in the the history of redemption, I have a story. You have a story being worked out right now. And the question is, are you being faithful? Are you following the Lord and what he has called you to do? By faith. You see, faith is is like a muscle. For, For it to grow, it must need to be exercised. Rita and I, over the last 30 years, have had a lot of reps over and over again about trusting in the Lord. Sometimes we obeyed, sometimes we didn't. But here's the point. The object of our faith wasn't in our abilities. The object of our faith wasn't in our successes. It wasn't in our resources. The object of our faith was the Lord and his promises. That, that's what we built our life on. What do you do with the commands and the promises of the Lord in your life? Do you read them? Do you you underline them? Do you circle them? Or or, or do they guide you? Are are, are they the rock in which you build your life on? Again, not perfectly, but that's the desire. Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Uh, We have a lot of young families here. And um, y- you have an incredible opportunity, again, whether you're a young professional, whether you're ma- whatever, whatever your season of life is right now, to take the next 30 years and go on an awesome adventure with the Lord. I mean, to, 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 to follow the Lord and His command and just have an absolute blast in doing it. Just Go. Make disciples where you're at and watch the Lord move. He will. We have testimonies in here. You can get some of us older people in here and ask us the journey that the Lord has taken us on. And were there some trials? Were there some tough times? Oh, yeah, there's valleys. Got to exercise the faith. There's there's times where the Lord's got to break down that faith muscle to build it back up. But, man, take advantage. Make the focus, the foundation of your life, Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. Some of you in here right now might be going in the midst of some tough times. As you guys recall, 2018 for, for our family, was some, we had some of, the, some of the most difficult times in, in my life personally. And I just want to encourage you to stand on the promises and the covenant of grace of God because he's working in your life. He's tearing down your muscle of faith to, to build it back up to be stronger and bigger so that you and I will be more effective in our ministry for his glory and for the joy and happiness for you. And this is what we're going to see as we continue to unpack the book of Genesis and the rest of the Bible. Everything points to God's two great commandments, to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to go and make disciples. So over the next several chapters, we're going to see Abram's faith-tested and like all of us, sometimes we're going to grow and we're going to have great gains. But other times we also we're going to we're going to fail. We're going to, we're going to fall flat on our face, and that takes us to our third and final point. We see Abraham's faithlessness. We see Abraham's failure in verses ten through twenty. Abraham and his family travel some four hundred plus miles, I think, from Ur to Haran to Canaan. They finally get to the place the Lord called them, and it is awesome, right? It's flowing with milk and honey. There's abundance of food. There's abundance of work. I mean, it's a happening place. As my kids would say today, it's, a, it's lit, right? It's lit. Terrible, terrible, I don't know. Terrible. I, the youth of America, all right, gotta love them. All right. No, that's not what we see. Look at verse 10. What does it say in verse 10? They get there. Now there was a famine in the land. How about that? Leave everything, and I'm gonna take you to this new place. And when they get there, there's a famine in the land. Can you imagine Sarai's face, Abram's wife, when they finally get there? Uh, this 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 past this past Christmas I, I watched National Lampoons, the original, you know, Chevy Chase, Clark Griswold, And this, this image popped in my mind where at the end, of the, you know, they got this move there. They got all their troubles, all their trials to get to Wally World, right? Wally World was the promised land. And they finally get to Wally World, and they get this massive parking lot, and there's no one there, right? And he thought, you know, being as as uh, positive as we're the first ones here, right? And so they start running. Chariots of Fire is going, da-na-na-na-na-na. they are all happy and joyful. And they get to the moose, and it says what? Sorry, we're closed. And in that, their countenance just falls, right? And what does he do? He punches the moose in the face. It's like, awesome. It's like, that's what I think happened to these guys. They, they finally get there and they're all excited. It's like the promised land is over the crest, right over that hill. And when they get there, there's a famine. So what does Abraham decide to take the family? Take them to Egypt. Now, the Lord didn't say go to Egypt. The Lord knew there was gonna be a famine in the land, but he didn't say go to Egypt. He said go to Canaan, but, but Abram, says, well, we're going to go to Egypt, because we know in Egypt is another prominent city, another vibrant city. They, they hardly ever went to famine or, or had any droughts there because of the Nile River. Now, what's interesting is the, the similarities between this and Exodus 20, this is actually a foreshadowing of Exodus 20 and what's going to take place with Moses and Israel going to the desert. This is a foreshadowing, but... It's because they go to Egypt because of the Nile River, because of the plenty of the Nile River. If you look at the, the areas of the Middle East and you look at an aerial view and you see nothing but desert, but around these rivers you'll see green patches. And the, and the rivers are an incredible resource for life and sustaining life. In fact, if you look in the back of your Bibles, when you, if you want to look at Abram's journey from Ur to Canaan, Ur is here, Canaan is here, they could have just went west or here, however you do it for your, for your break. They could have just went west across the desert, but they didn't go that way. Why? Because it was nothing but desert. What they did is they probably followed the Euphrates River up through Haran and then down. Why? Because that's where they could be sustained to make such a long journey. So here Abram said, here's the family in the land. I'm going to go take my family to Egypt. And here is where we see the, the father of faith fail. The the hall of famer of faith, the one that we are to look to as our example of following God and obeying God and walking in faith, the one who believed in right and by faith and is counted to him as righteousness. We see that Abram is very much like you and me. It doesn't take much for our faith to go from having a great, you know, conquer faith, we did it, to have it fall and us become faithfulness. In a nutshell, this is the story. Abram had a beautiful wife, Sarai. In fact, there's some legends and traditions that she was one of the most beautiful women ever, in particular at that time, which was saying something, even though because she was, she was a, about 65, I think, around this time. But Abram knows that if they go to this foreign land, the, the Pharaoh's going to see the beauty of his wife and want her for his own, and therefore he will kill Abram, the husband, and take, and take Sarah. That was kind of a common thing back then. It's not uncommon. That was kind of a common thing back then. That's how away uh, with some of these pharaohs, these kings, they built their, their harems of stuff by taking other men's wives. And so he comes up with this story about, hey, say, you're not my wife. You're my sister. And in that way, uh, your, your life will be preserved and, and my life will be preserved. So to preserve Abram's life he does go on and tell Pharaoh that Sarai, his beautiful wife, is actually just his sister. And what we see, men, is in these verses, verses 10 through 20, we see there's two things you, there's one thing you do, and there's one thing you don't do. The first thing you do, men, is in verse 11. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, Abram said to his wife, you are what? You are a beautiful woman. Men, you do that. You, you, you do that to your wife, you do that to your girlfriends, uh, even if you have a sister, hey, you are beautiful. Don't, don't, don't let a day go by where you don't express your, your love, your passion for your wife. Amen, ladies? The thing you don't do is in verse 13. You don't say your wife is your sister and give her to another man. Yeah, you don't do that. Now, that probably might not happen to us, but you get the point. The point is, Abram's faith failed. He just had his success in following God. The Lord just spoke these promises to him. He obeyed them. Abraham, the example, the hall of famer. And we get here, we see he doubts the promises of God. We see he disobeys the promises of God. And we see that it leads into incredible failure. Because of Abraham's doubt and disobedience and the promises of God, he gives his wife to another man. Can you imagine if you're Sarai? What do you think goes through her mind and her heart when Abram comes up with this plan? Do you think she feels honored? Do you think she feels protected? No, you see, this is what happens. When we doubt and disobey the promises of God, we become dangerous. Our actions, our words become dangerous. It leads us into sin. And our sin doesn't just affect us, it affects our families, it affects our our friends, it affects our bodies. This is an epic, epic failure. Of faith on Abraham's part, we see that it goes on quickly. Pharaoh puts two and two together. The, the situation in which Abram thought was going to happen happens. They see Sarah; she's beautiful. They report the princes report to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, "I want you know you're awesome. I'm going to take you in." Oh, Abram. Sarah says, oh, um, his sister, not his wife." But notice in the passage, over and over again, it says, "His wife, his wife, his wife." Pharaoh takes her away quickly, he puts two and two together, because as soon as he takes her as his wife, suffering afflictions happen to Pharaoh and his household. We see that in verse 17, but here's the crazy thing in verse 18. Verse 18: "The unbelieving Pharaoh rebukes the believing Abraham." How about that? Have you ever had a non-believer in your life rebuke you? as a believer, for not following the commands and promises of God? That's a humbling thing. It's happened to me. That's to the point of which Abraham's failure of faith happened, where Pharaoh rebukes Abraham. What have you done? Why did you tell me she was your sister and not your wife? Finally, in verse 20, Pharaoh says, Man, take take your wife and take everything that I've given you, And get out of here. Leave. Can you imagine what that car ride home was like, you know, for Abram? Either it was just incredible silence, or if she was anything like my wife, it was just getting an ear hole, right? And you're just sitting there going, "Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyways. That's kind of the sub-point for us, but here's the main point. The main point is in Abraham's failure, in his doubt, in his faithfulness to fulfill the covenant promises that God's given him, in his failure of faith, God is still faithful. That's the point of this story. God is still faithful to keeping his covenants even though we fail. The Lord was still faithful to fulfill his promises in Abraham. Remember, I will, I will. I will, I will, I will. I will accomplish these promises. I will accomplish this covenant of grace in your life. And I don't know about you, but that should bring you and me just incredible peace, incredible relief, incredible joy that's not based on our ability. It's based on his ability. It's based on his promises, How many times have we disbelieved? How many times have we doubted? How many times have we disobeyed the promises and the commandments of the Lord? And yet, the next day we get blessed by Him. The next day He he lavishes His love on us. His forgiveness. He he takes our disobedience and works it out for our good. That's That's the testimony of a follower of Christ and one who falls under the covenant of God's grace. You see, Scripture doesn't tell us that it's our responsibility to hold on tight to Jesus. Why? Because our grip is weak. we got all kinds of holes and stuff in our hands, and, and we'll lose him real quick. He'll fall out of our hands real quick. The Scripture says in John 6 that we are held by Jesus. We are in his hands, and nothing can snatch us out of him. That's the beautiful part about this covenant of grace, and still being fulfilled today in your life and mine. I want to close with this last scripture reading in Galatians chapter three. Again, this is one that we should honor underline circle, etc, says this, It's a commentary on what we just read. Now then, that it's those of faith. Who are the sons and daughters of Abraham? And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, To you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed. We're blessed. Along with Abraham, the man of faith. Isn't that awesome? Abraham is called a friend of God. Abraham, in the New Testament, despite his failings, is called a man of faith. And in that, that's our calling, that's our identity now as well. We are men and women of faith because we are in Christ, therefore we receive his blessing. Let's take that to the world.